Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Sai Shankar, President of Digital Health Unit at Aptar. Aptar Pharma provides drug delivery systems components and services globally, and is one of those multi-billion dollar companies that I personally never heard of prior to their announcement of Volantis acquisition in September of 2021. Today, I speak with Samali Likkanen, Digital Medicines Director at Orion Corporation. Orion Pharma is a globally operating Finnish pharmaceutical company with core therapy areas of neurological disorders, oncology, Finnish heritage, rare diseases, and respiratory diseases. And I actually love their tagline, a builder of well-being. But before we dive in, I met Samily years ago at Frontiers Health Conference and got to know him and his work through my role as an advisor at Healthware Group. Orion is working with Healthware to bring to market a virtual reality pain management digital therapeutic. Samily has a tremendous amount of energy, a keen eye on the future of DTX, and a really no BS attitude on getting stuff done. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Samali. Samali, welcome to the DTX podcast. You come into us from, I think, still considered the happiest country in the world, Finland. Welcome. Thanks, Eugene. The dimmest country in the world, Finland. Love it. Well, for our listeners, we'd love to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and don't forget about one interesting fact about you as well. Oh, I've got plenty of interesting facts. My name is Samuli. I'm coming from the northern Finland, from Lapland originally. So I was born in the 70s, three kilometers away from the Santa Claus's home. And that's where I'm from. And I kind of like, you know, been working in the pharmaceutical industry for more than 20 years. And for the more than 10 years, I've been working in customer facing solutions as well. I work in a company called Orion Pharma, where I've been working as a chief digital officer. And in the late couple of years, I've been working as the head of the digital medicine, which is a really, really super interesting field. An interesting fact is not the one that I was born by the Santa Claus. <laughs> I thought that was it. <laughs> no, 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 no. The interesting fact is that I play football, I box, I speak six languages, I play bass, and I play a Russian tuba as well, and I have a dog called Vladimir. That was like 14 different interesting facts, but we'll combine it into you living in a happy country doing happy things. That's the interesting fact. You mentioned Orion Pharma, and many listeners probably may or may not know about this. I think it's somewhere around 1 billion pharma company. Maybe tell a little bit about it and what the focus is there. We've got a long history, over 105 years. So it's incredibly long heritage from Finland. And we've always been concentrating on creating solutions for difficult diseases and problems. And we known of creating proprietary products for Parkinson's disease, asthma, COPD. Recently, we are concentrating mainly on the oncology and pain. And we are kind of like on the verge of becoming something substantially bigger than 1 billion euro company. So we are on a really, really quick crowd track. Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the chief medical officer and general manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Sam. In all your experience in digital medicine, what 
have you come across that is the greatest misconception about digital medicine and what do you think needs to be done about solving for it thanks chandana it's a great question but incredibly difficult to answer because there are a lot of answers that i could pick from one of them is the definition of digital medicine if i choose 100 people and ask what to digital medicine is i could get 100 different answers so there's not a universal definition of what it means and people are constantly misusing that i think one of the answers how to solve the problem is to rely on instances like dtx alliance which is doing great work in advertising dtx and the kind of like making the regulatory and the operative framework more easy to all the participants to play with I'm going to hop in here because what you just said around asking 100 people with 100 different questions that's been my experience and to me the amazing part is digital transformation for the life sciences industry quote unquote has been here for roughly a decade you can argue it's even longer and even to this day there are still executives asking well what does it mean for company x or my company or my department and to me the answer is actually pretty straightforward but those questions still being asked on that note from the kind of the digital medicine as let's call it a concept and i would maybe broadly put it in orion the approach to this non-molecular innovation let's call it that way how did you guys get started as a team how did you get the sponsorship for it so take us through a little bit of the journey on this non-molecular innovation oh i need a bottle of scotch to explain the whole story <laughs> and all the difficulties in it so it's really really interesting background it started back in the 2000 and i think it was 18 in the pain research we were thinking about there's a huge opioid crisis that is emerging especially in us but it's now appearing in eu as well and countries are accepting that there's a problem the opioid treatment is not as it was defined to be in the beginning and there's a huge unmet need with regards to the pain it's a huge unmet need and there are so little innovative solutions available or being developed in the world and we were thinking you know what we can do to contribute to the problem by the Ryan Pharma and i do remember that originally there was an idea of which kind of like was originating from us army snow world solution that was used to treat the acute pain when they were replacing bands for the patient really painful treatment and it reported efficacy in helping alleviate the acute pain and we were reading that article that publication and we were thinking hey maybe there's something else than just the small molecules or the other modalities to help the pain patients because it's an incredibly difficult thing and i do remember a meeting in london we had our head of the pain research and and pain development myself we had uh, members from a huge game company we had members from university of bath imperial college we had couple of entrepreneur kind of experts father and son of thong and then couple of other experts and we were thinking hey is there something that we might be able to do with the virtual reality and pain as well because it's difficult and really slow and expensive to create and try to solve the problem with the chemical entities alone and we calculated that it might not actually be in 15 years we might not need 500 to 1000 million euros to develop we might be actually be able to fail safer and quicker than with the traditional molecular products and we decided hey let's give it a try let's try to ideate a potential solution that we start to research we came back home 
We obviously didn't get any permission from the headquarters. They laughed us off the stage and they're like, get out of here. It doesn't belong to a pharmaceutical company. We're not doing any games. But we were able to get funding from Finland, from NGOs, kind of like a system NGO. And we were able to do the quick research on what it might be. We discussed with patients. We discussed with clinicians. We discussed with key opinion leaders at the time with regards to the pain. And then we got together, found out what pain actually is all about, what kind of nuances the pain has, and figured out that, hey, actually, we're not concentrating on acute pain. There's a lot of things trying to be developed for the acute pain, also with the help of virtual reality. But let's try to sort out the more difficult objective, the chronic pain. And even while interviewing the patients, the people with the problem, we found out that it's not the same for each and every one. So like for some people, it might mean cold. Cold induces the pain. For some people, it might be warm. So it's really complicated and chronic pain is really complicated. And then there was a master stroke. We decided that, hey, what about if we didn't try to treat the pain itself? Because chronic pain is not the acute pain. There's a misconception. A lot of people, also the medical people, assume that chronic pain is just long-lasting acute pain. Which is it? So it's a completely different thing. So acute pain is a nociceptive reaction in your body, which creates a memory track in your brain. It kind of like burns a mark in the brain, which is then called as a chronic pain. And even if the cause of the acute pain gets rid of, but if it has been long lasting enough, and if it has burned the mark in the brain, you still remain to be left with the chronic pain which is kind of like a residual of evolution, which doesn't have any significance in your biology, but it's difficult to get rid of. We understood that, hey, to be able to treat the chronic pain patients, which means the pain long lasting longer than three months, we need to approach it completely differently. We need to approach the limbic system, the memory system, the emotional system in the brain to get rid of the chronic pain. And, and th this is the kind of like masterstroke that we had. And then we started to do the research further and further. And we started our first clinical trial. So we seek the ethical committee approval. And it was a really remarkable clinical trial because it was a co-creation clinical trial together with patients, cohort after cohort in a clinical setting. So we were trying newer and newer versions of the solution trying different features and gimmicks with, of the solution together with the patients in a clinical settings. And while doing this, we were also able to collect one of the most important features of software as a medical device is the safety aspect. And that's the first clinical trial that we had. And once we were confident enough that, yeah, it makes sense, we seek additional funding. Before we get into kind of evidence generation and collection, to me, the interesting part of the genesis of this particular project, but also the efforts, were very much bottoms up, right? Because I always use the example of an Oreo cookie. You have the top down and then you have the bottom up. And that's when the gooey, mushy stuff happens when there's support from both in the middle. But you discovered an opportunity. You basically went to get your own funding almost outside or to the side of the company and started pushing that up through that goo to the top. Yeah, even in between the lines from the management perspective. Yeah, exactly. We didn't kind of like get fans from the top management while doing the, in the early stages of this kind of development. 
Before we go further, some of the iterations, I'm always curious about this, right? I mean, virtual reality has shown outcomes across multitude of platforms, right? And again, I'm not going to go through naming a lot of them, but VR is still to a certain extent out of reach of many people. Did you choose that modality or was it just the most effective because of the gaming and the neurological impacts of gaming through the VR? So just curious your thinking process on VR and accessibility there. I mean, the golden standard of treating a long-lasting chronic pain, which then eventually causes the kinesiophobia, which is the fear of movement, is the CBT. The CBT is the one that is being used in the clinical settings. But the difficulty is that even the most richest countries in the world, UK, US, even Finland, there's a huge shortage of therapists being able to give the CBT for these people in need. And what we wanted to do also was to reinvent the CBT to be able to be kind of like democratize the access to CBT, digitalize the access to CBT and upscale the CBT resources in a completely different way than it has been before. And the first stage was to try to replace or complement the existing CBT capabilities and resources with virtual reality. But then what we understood, because virtual reality is in a simple terms, it's able to hijack the limbic system. Your frontal cortex understands you are in the virtual reality, but deep inside here, your emotional system doesn't have a clue. And one can give it a try and exploit all the demonstrations in the virtual reality and try to, for instance, walk. I've done some of those with Pateri from Healthware, so it's fascinating, yeah. It's a bit scary, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, especially standing on the ledge, you know, the typical one. I mean, you think it's nothing, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, indeed. I've seen people absolutely freak out when they are walking on the plank on the, a concrete floor and they fully understand where they are, but they absolutely freak out. So it really is able to hijack the emotional processor here. And now once we understood that, we understood that it allows us to enable stuff that wouldn't be possible in the real world. It would also enable us to approach the CBT by using techniques and vehicles that wouldn't be possible in the real world. We can create certain emotions in the virtual reality that would be completely impossible in the real world. And by being able to create these emotions, induce the emotions, we can then retrain and reprogram the brain of a chronic pain patient. So it's an incredible platform that allows us to do things that wouldn't be just possible in the real world. So first we are trying to complement, upscale, and then eventually the long-term vision of this kind of treatment would obviously improve the CBT as it stands now. Not to replace the therapist, but to kind of let their potential patient population benefit from this treatment modality. Since we're talking about it, I think most of the listeners have experienced VR. Never say that everybody has, but that's the assumption we're going to go with. Walk us through a little bit of what that experience of patient using this therapy that you guys develop. I mean, aside from putting on the VR set, what are you taking into inside that set? What's your experience like as a patient? Oh, nice one. First of all, it's a wireless device. You just put it on. It's easy to use. People from all the ages and background are able to use the device. You have the controllers here, and once you put it on, you start the treatment. It takes you to the home base, which is at the moment, it's a cozy cottage located by the lakeside. Mountains are close by. It's well-equipped cottage. 
That's always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, upstairs, it's a romantic bed. Downstairs, you have sofa, you've got kitchen, you've got games you can do. And then you have your own pad there as well, which actually you can select and move to other worlds. So you have the home base, which is the beginning of all the treatments. And that's where the magic happens when it comes for the CBT treatment. You do have a semi-automized mentoring and intelligence called Sami. And Sami is helping you kind of like an avatar. Sami, it's she, and she is a semi-automized mentoring intelligence. And Sami is able to express emotions as well. She's got faces. She speaks to you. She communicates to you, and she helps you throughout the treatment. And you've got several walls that you can then choose from. And while the 12-week program, at the moment it's 12-week treatment program, advances, you experience these walls with various challenges and things that are helping you to get out of the chronic pain hell. We've been talking about healthcare experience, navigating systems is complex. And so with tools like this and therapies like this, hopefully it also alleviates mental stress on navigating once you determine that that's what you're trying to solve. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Samuel Likinen, Digital Medicines Director at Orion Corporation. You touched on it a bit earlier, but maybe dive a little bit deeper. You're taking CBTs, you're transversing that or transporting that into a virtual reality world and gaming. What does the evidence generation journey look like even? I'm sure it's complex, but maybe take us through at a very high level on how you guys are doing it. Well, I see three main layers in this. First, it was all about the safety. As with any medicinal products, as I explained, we had a clinical trial. The design was an open design and co-creation together with patients while collecting the data in a systematic way to prove the safety. And we can still exploit that vehicle in the future development if we choose so. Then we do have the second, which is like efficacy point of view. And we have done the randomized clinical trial, a placebo-shamed randomized clinical trial, beautifully designed, very, very credible clinical trial. I would say it's the best state-of-art clinical trial done for the virtual reality in the field of medical devices. And in there, we collected the usual clinical endpoints, but we also collected wearable data in between using the solution. And it showed remarkable results in clinical endpoints, but it also gave us hints where to go when it comes for digital biomarkers when using this solution and when treating the chronic pain patients. And then the third layer, what I can already anticipate in my eyes is once, because we're looking for the medical device approval now in EU, once we got the approval and we go to the commercial stage, we're then obviously collecting data from the users in order to collect the real-world evidence data set. And that's going to contain more usage data for the future development of the solution, but then also to prove the point, what it actually is able to do in the real-world setting. But we're also thinking about the possibility to combine the health economic data to the real-world data, to the clinical data. There are various stages here, but it's not as the pharmaceutical companies like to see clinical development tracks from the beginning to the end. This is an iterative way, and it depends on the chosen partnerships, business models, countries, and so on and so forth. But this is definitely a medical device. We'll get to the commercialization engine of this, but before we do, you mentioned software as a medical device, which is a very complex proposition. 
many molecular pharma companies that don't have the medical device side of things try to stay away. And I know you guys are also working, I don't think this is a secret to anyone, we're working with healthware. The choice that a company or a team needs to make about building yourself versus working with somebody who can take a lot of the work and work together to co-create things. Maybe talk through a little bit of the choice for that. One of the most critical things behind the whole magic has been the triage of being able to combine domain field experts like CBT experts. I mean, we do have, for instance, the professor Christopher Eccleston from the University of Bath, who is the master of the psychology of pain. Absolutely best there is in the world. The second that we need to be able to make this magic happen is the latest state-of-art virtual reality coders, the backend developers, the front-end developers that Healthware has. They do have the HIPAA GDPR compliant. They know how to develop solutions. They know how to document the solution so that it's compatible with the medical device regulations. And then thirdly, we do need the clinical expertise, the pain indication-related expertise that we have in-house. And you can't do this kind of a co-creation without missing one of these key elements. And what Healthware and Christopher Eccleston next to our clinical and pain-related experts has shown us is that this multi-diverse team taught to speak same language has been absolutely crucial. Even with rather small team, we do act as entrepreneurs. We do have some brainiacs who don't like to play by the rules. Even for us, it's, I would say, two to four months to learn to speak same language. It was difficult in the beginning, but once the techie developers our pain experts and our clinical experts learn how to speak the same language, lingua franca. Then the magic really started to kick in. The magic happens. Oh, yeah. And this is difficult for the pharmaceutical companies usually because they are so omnipotent by their hearts that they have their own language and they have difficulties to speak any other languages. Many, many acronyms in every company. Definitely. And kudos to healthware here. They do speak a lot of different languages, that has to be said. Absolutely. It's a great team and a great company. We talked about kind of the genesis of all of this, the journey, evidence generation. At some point, you need to commercialize this. How does Orion specifically look at standalone DTX, which this is what it sounds like, or Drug Plus, and how are you looking to commercialize this? I mean, this could be either standalone as it has been developed to be feasible as a standalone. It could be exploited in the future as truck plus next to a generic or new truck. So definitely there's an opportunity as well to combine a pharmaceutical ingredient to enhance the treatment. So you can definitely even enhance the ongoing message and reprogramming of the trade. But while I'm speaking, we are on top of thinking, what would be the best way to commercialize this? We have so many different options available. I mean, we have to choose the right market to begin with, or we can choose several markets to begin with. But something which is really incredible in a solution like this, it's likely not going to be one solution fits all. In Germany, you can approach the DICA, that's for sure. That's something in the future you can do in France. In UK, you need to approach the NHS trusts, and there are certain processes to go through. In US, do you choose direct-to-customer model first in California? 
Or would you like to go through the private insurance brokers who are trying to create better healthcare programs for their clients? So many different options available. What I can say while thinking about different options from is that we won't be choosing the traditional pharmaceutical commercialization process. It doesn't make any sense. As much as I love sales and marketing ability, they are definitely not fine-tuned to be compatible with the digital therapeutics commercialization. In the world, you have several examples of pharmaceutical companies trying to do this within their current modus operandi. It just doesn't work. Obviously, to your point, there's many channels, many countries, many systems. Sounds like you guys are in that assessment phase on kind of the go-to-market. And even there, you can keep this inside and probably struggle through the traditional methods. And there's other options on partnering or spin-offs or spin-outs, whatever it is. So it sounds like you guys are kind of in that assessment phase now. Fantastic. I would love to tell more, but unfortunately, I need to get a little bit secret inside the company as well. Maybe at some point we'll announce this in Frontiers, maybe the next year or something like that. This is my moment of speaking, friends. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. I always ask the question because you have such a broad experience from digital and inside pharma. And I'm always curious, would love for you to give advice. And I think I'm going to ask you to give advice to the clinical community uh, broadly and MDs maybe more specifically. Go. This is your chance for the MDs to hear you. I'll take a little bit generic approach. So these different treatment modalities that clinical community has been used to accept, like the small molecules or the large molecules or the kind of like cell therapies, they believe it because there's a physical artifact or physical thing that has been input into the system. And it's easy to believe for them that it has a positive consequence on the patient. Now, what I would like the clinical community to understand is that the digital intervention, even when it doesn't have a physical artifact that is being put in the system, does have credible, proven scientific efficacy in the biological system. So once you believe this paradigm, then it's easy to understand why these things work. But these are not just gimmicks. These are not just apps. These are safe, well-working, proven, credible, clinical solutions and tools to help them. Wise words to remember. The last question, we kind of started with you and your background and many interesting facts all packed into one. But let's also end with you and would love to know what gets you up in the morning. And it's not the bright sunlight. (laughs) Oh, no, not in Finland. In summer, it's 24-7. In winter, it's zero, zero. What gets me up in the morning is, well, I'll take the personal contact. It's a little bit, you know, sad to hear this. But I have a few friends who have died because of serious illnesses. And my personal motivation is, above all, try to find solutions for difficult diseases. And I don't mind what the solution is. As long as it works, it's safe. And it's proven. So I'm really trying to change the way healthcare is working. And I'm doing it from the pharmaceutical perspective this time. Samili, amazing. Thank you so much. And it's a great effort to get up to every morning. You know, when we first met, I think it was actually in Frontiers many years ago, that energy and passion did come through. So thank you for doing what you do. Nice one, Eugene. Nice talking to you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission Based Media. 
Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.